that, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interrupt. You don't deserve us, but we deserve you. It's the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien. We are psyched to be with you again, together again in the Pump Cave here. And today <laughs> we are talking about a fan favorite album, a little something called Oceania. Uh, Pat, uh, welcome back for this episode. Yeah, thank uh, you. Thank you for making the time. Absolutely. And uh, you have been missed. Yeah, uh, but I, it's good to see you again, and it's good to hear your voice. It's great again. to be here. Um, it's yeah, it's great to be talking about this album. I've had a lot of fun boning up, listening to it. Um, as I mentioned earlier in our our episodes, I I was not very well versed in this album, and then once we started the podcast, I was kind of like, well, I'm just gonna hold. O- I'm gonna kind of like you know hold off until I know we will eventually get to it, and that's when I'm gonna dive in whole hog. So. This was uh, a really, really enjoyable b- album to dive into. I mean, it's you know you've you've already talked about it a little bit, but yeah, um, yeah the whole man. hog was uh, had. the whole hog tip to tail, tipped <laughs> nose to, to stern, snout to snout to stern. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, uh, before we get into the album, Pat, we have some new Patreon members to thank. Let's do it. First up, thank you to Generic Music Minister, Simon Metaljan, Metaljan from Osphoria. Thank you. Jamie R., thank you. And Nick Walton, thank you. Before we start the episode, as always, thanks to spfc.org and spcodex.wiki, because without you, how would we do this shit? I, I don't I don't remember any of this We'd stuff. We'd be making up facts left and right. Left and right. We'd be the Liars podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, the Liars. Remember that, Ben? Uh, anyway, so, Pat, yeah, you said that you don't really have a history with this. In the last episode, I talked a little bit about my history with the album, and we've talked about this era of our lives. Yeah. We knew each other in New York during this yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. It just, we, we were kind of like, pumpkins were on our radar, but it was just not as... Yeah, I actually have a very specific memory of um, being, I guess it was still the Virgin Megastore Mm -hmm. in New York, which I would go to in Union Square. Um, Same place I waited in line for many, many hours to get my um, blinking with fists signed back in the day. But I remember kind of just browsing around a record store and looking and seeing this album out and it was like it was kind of an all-time low for my connection to the pumpkins because it was like oh shit i didn't even know there was like a new pumpkins album yeah out i don't know who's in the band right now like it was that it was like that moment when you see like your ex <laughs> like you know and they've got like a totally different haircut and like you know like i yeah. you, I, you, you just realize like oh shit there's like some real distance between us here but um yeah man oh man it's a gem. It's a real gem, you know. Yeah. And and you probably talked about how this this has become a fan favorite. I'm not sure like who how well it was received at the time, like you know, how it well it sold critically. I mean, I, I talked about this with Kim Roses who was on the history intro episode, but I I always thought that maybe this album wasn't well received, but every music critic critic and everybody was like 
they're back. It's they're hard like, not there's... to give it up. For, I mean, it's a solid, solid. Like the songs are just, you know, it it, it would be hard to point at this and 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 not have something nice to say, even if you were out for blood for some reason, you know. Right. I mean, everybody was just like, this is a return to form. And I think because it was more of a band effort, mm-hmm. uh, which hasn't really been the case since uh, Machina or Adore, right. I guess, as, yeah. as far as a unit goes. Granted, this is some he recently talked about how this feels like its own thing where it is pumpkins, but it's more pumpkins adja- adjacent. It's like a kind of a project kind of thing, mm-hmm. which was interesting to hear. But um, I think it marries the past with his kind of uh, experimental present mm-hmm. in a really nice way. It's where they intersect. It's the, definitely it's the Venn diagram, if you will, absolutely. of the past and the present. Yeah, absolutely. You can hear, and obviously like, I think a lot of uh, fans were probably excited because there were, there are moments that harken back to like Siamese dream era. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's not just, good because it's a throwback it's really not it's like there are some kind of like familiar return to form elements in there but there's also a lot of things that that remind me of what they're doing currently on the on the new album so yeah yeah um so let's uh get into it all right all right our first track up is quasar Who did that song? That was Corn. Corn. Yeah. Corn. See, I thought of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Because they have a song that starts out like that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. You didn't want me to keep singing like Anthony Kiedis. So that was okay. So that's what it reminded me of. So uh, let me get into the facts before we break down the track. Uh, But so this said that uh, this had the original title or sometimes called Samurai Mike with uh i mean that make that's very fitting because of the drumming that mike Byrne right, does right. it does feel a little bit like hey this is the new drummer he's got some chops yeah uh but what billy had to say in music radar on June 13th, 2012 is it was one of those riffs that we had laying around for a while. Actually, I think it went back to when I started working with Mike Byrne in 2009. 
The original riff was called Nero Riffo, so it sat around for a long time and I was finally able to turn it into a song. It's a little bit of what I used to do, even in terms of process. The way I wrote when I first got into rock was I'd write these crazy riffs and time signatures and then I'd sit there and think, okay, what the hell am I going to sing over this? It was a way of working backwards. With a song like this, I know we were using a combination of a Marshall Super Tremolo amp with four rhythm guitars and the other guitars went through a Reeves Custom Jimmy Head, which is the recreation of Jimmy Page's Led Zeppelin 1 amp. It's incredible. There you go. Yeah. yeah. The dr- I mean, it's it's interesting because it is people who've listened hard to, you can kind of, well, I don't know. I'll ask you this. Can you, if, if being honest with yourself, if you had no idea who was in the band, would you be able to, at this point, tell that it's someone other than Jimmy playing the drums? Um, I don't know that I would. I feel like I do now. Yeah. I can tell now, but that's sort of like that's such a hard. Yeah, that's such a hard question because it's it was so publicized and yeah, so like, right. You know, and if but if I having digested all the Jimmy stuff and then, yeah. And knowing, like, and re-listening to this and having arguments with even some of our listeners about the contributions at Mike or what he did. Right. Um, I think he, I think Billy, maybe I'm speaking out of school here, but I feel like Mike was such a raw, uh, is such a raw talent that could keep up with Jimmy's parts from the old mm-hmm. songs, but was somebody that Billy could be like, I could mold him sure. into what I need. Yeah, that yeah. what Jimmy was. Right. Uh, at least he he wouldn't have that kind of uh, songwriting back and forth. But Billy knows what he wants. Yeah, what he would probably ask of Jimmy and be right. able to get that. And this song especially feels like a very declarative. Declarative. I can't talk today, Pat. <laughs> a declaration. I think. Um, yeah. That. Mike's got the chops. Yeah, he's definitely got the chops. And yeah, yeah, knowing I feel like not like there is just some distinct uh distinctly Jimmy Chamberlain thing to his drumming. I mean, you could break it down more than that, but it to you know, you could tell that this is someone else, but you could also tell that um like you said, he, he's no slouch. And no. and also just the um it's like the different I, I don't know. Like, I feel like that they they're always breaking new ground, but making an album with Jimmy is kind of Billy's comfort zone, and that's not what, any kind of judgment or anything. That's no. just sort of the facts, you know. Yeah. So I mean, he's admitted that. Yeah, totally. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, they they thrive together. But yeah, it was also I also read something, where, you know, that just kind of pointed out this is the first time, I think, since Adore, where he would be recording an album without Jimmy, right? Well, yeah, right or including Zwan, including Zeitgeist. Uh, no, because then, well, Tear Solo Garden album, really, Tear yeah. Garden, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tear really Garden count, is its own yeah. thing. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it has, like, the, because we talked about it when we covered a door, it was like they had to, re, they had to, necessity made for some cool discovery, you know, the necessity yeah. of needing to figure shit out without your guy, you know, your go-to guy. Leaning so. on the other band members. Yeah. Like Jeff yeah. steps up in this album, which is really cool. And I don't know if you heard that recent interview he Jeff did on uh, the 33 podcast. It really was, it was great because when he left, Billy was talking about uh, one of the songs and just 
basically he didn't really talk about the song as much as how much Jeff meant has meant to the band. Yeah, yeah. And how um, he has been such a important part of the creative process and keeping Billy in a certain headspace mm-hmm. and that a lot of people don't realize like a lot of people that always we know from talking to him yeah. and like just doing this podcast that he's not just a hired gun he's not a replacement oh, yeah. he actually contributes to the band this is the first album he gets to do that and then with nicole joining the band yeah. the the stuff that she adds to this uh the contributions that she makes to this album are really incredible well like, this is the first pumpkins album where i've uh, that i've listened to to be honest where just through song after song i'm like struck by how cool the bass yeah. sounds the bass is is and same with um i don't know who exactly played which guitar part throughout but you can hear jeff's influence yeah and what i think you know like and there's some beautiful beautiful bass work and beautiful guitar tones and stuff throughout this that um yeah the the they comp- all, all the members you could yeah it's it's there's something different and you could hear that it's like a different configuration of really talented musicians playing together. Yeah. Which I think like, I don't know that, that Billy knows what he's doing kind of on his own or just with Jimmy, but it adds like some spice to the mix, some X factor that really makes this thing come alive. So that's definitely apparent on this song, but it's just, just kind of like a general thought about the album that kept coming up is yeah. yeah, So what are your thoughts on this song? This song is, it's a, it's a great intro. It's, um it's also it's reminiscent it's got got that chugging kind of like intro that is definitely reminiscent of cherub rock um in a good way in a way that was probably in some way intentional you know like or or they're aware of that in some way doesn't sound like it but it has like the same energy as that um and then yeah it like we were saying, there's just a lot of like real rock and roll kind of theatrics on display and there it's a statement, you know, and you hear, you hear kind of all the instruments and the voice, you know, you hear everything kind of um, making that statement, you know, like speaking of Jeff, like when we talked to him, when we interviewed him, uh, one of the times he, he referred to this era as the, the proggiest the band had ever been. Yeah. Been and, and, um, that's apparent with this song right out of the gate. Yes. In a great way. You know, like I, I, I think um, there are songs on their own that hit me harder than this one. But I think this is a great opening to the to the album. And I love the I had to eventually look up what he was saying. But the Yode <laughs> yeah. Vahe Om, like it's almost like it's got like a you know, like almost like George Harrison's use of sort of like chants and incantations and stuff. But also it, it the way he uses it is there's like a, the heaviness of the meaning of it, uh, which what does it translate to? I am. God, oh, it's, I am yeah. The, the translation is I, I think it's Hebrew for all that is or the one God. Yeah. Which yeah. Uh, somebody had said it was some believe it's too holy to be muttered by a mortal. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so of course, you know, Billy would say it. Yeah, he's kicking around. <laughs> it, but it's also it feels like a continuation of um, Billy's sort of playing with religious themes and language and stuff. But in, but folding in new stuff. There's also like a fun. It, it's like these these this religious kind of incantation and spiritual, you know, in the ohm and everything. But it also has like a gabba gabba hey kind of like ch- yeah like right. rock and roll like very um yeah it's kind of turning it's like. 
yeah, it's pulling from this religious context and making it very sort of like, yeah, right, it, rock, rock and roll. Yeah, God rock. Yeah, yeah. But it, but there's a there's something about it that is um, fun. Like I, I and I mean that it like lyrically fun. Like um, just yeah, I don't know. I think the lyrics are on point on this album. This is sort of a it's like a mysterious kind of um, way to, or it's like a mysterious kind of refrain, you know. But it also doesn't matter. Like it just kind of works, just the sound of it, like yeah. a gabba gabba hey type of thing. It doesn't matter what it means, kind of. Right. It just like sounds right for this. So yeah, I, I, I it's a very strong start to the album. I think for sure. It's a stadium swing. It feels like you know this is a song made to fill a stadium, and I think you're onto something with like that that chant. It almost feels like oh, this is something that an audience can kind of. It's church, yeah. right? A lot of Pumpkins fans that we talk to. They'll uh, they'll say like, well, I'm not even Kim. The last episode being like, I'm not really religious, but me seeing the pumpkins or being involved in the music is a religious experience oh, yeah, for me. For sure. And like we know, going to concerts, we're the kind of people who go to concerts and really experience. That concerts. is like, you know, it's yeah. corny perhaps to say, but like my mo- like the the best sort of transcendent group experiences I've had were like mass, exp- you know, have been great great shows you know that's where it it, that yeah it's it's it totally is the church religious experience and it's interesting i love that we kind of mentions these these all these deities that fall under the umbrella of god yeah right kind of being like i've i've kind of come into this you know with my spiritual journey and trying to figure out like (laughs) being obsessed with like what is this reality what is you know what is this world what what is this and uh just kind of doing research of like my own research not like that research but kind of being like oh everybody has this idea of god Mm -hmm. and i've always been agnostic because it just feels like who knows right who knows but if you look at the different religions they all have the same kind of stories and ideas Mm -hmm. and the concept of god yeah and it's like oh you can kind of believe in that umbrella concept of god which yeah. kind of feels like what billy is doing uh, For sure. or we hear a lot of that spiritual stuff so i kind of like the inclusion of yeah the different deities kind of being like we're all here it's under one you yeah. know god yeah. and let's rock totally <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a great continuation of sort of a journey that he's been on uh, or that we've been on with him you yeah know? and even as the recovering catholics and stuff it's like you, you <laughs> do a lot of search if you're sort of yeah. like this i know this exact thing system is not for me but i don't want to be left out in the cold with nothing you know like exactly i, yeah. I feel compelled to search for my version of what feels right yeah um i think this one i love the layered vocals i love the like kind of the the space in the the song yeah even with the guitar at the end when it kind of goes out and it kind of sounds like it's being played in a long hallway yeah or, yeah you know um mm-hmm. it's got kind of a zeitgeist like posturing uh, but with more of a spacey classic rock approach. Yeah. Um, the, those really cool reverse guitar parts sound awesome. You know, it kind of cools down. And it gives me like Jeff Beck or like Steve Miller band type mm-hmm. of vibes. Yeah. Which I feel like is kind of a Jeff special a little sure. bit. Sure, yeah. Um, and that slide kind of reminds me of Whole Lot of Love, speaking of Zeppelin. I just wrote down how many people can hang with Corgan's guitar skills as far as originality. Yeah. So people can shred, but as far as like what he offers yeah. when he shreds is just kind of 
I don't know. Uh, and that squelch at the end almost sounds like that guitar squeal kind of sounded, reminded me of something from Pisces, but I can't put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but yeah. Yeah, it definitely rips hard. And yeah, again, I don't always know who's playing what, but I, uh, it, but there's comp, there's such like complementary, different, like you said, guitar things happening. And yeah, you got to tip your hat to obviously Billy, but Jeff in this case too. And, and so, Jeff rules. We love Jeff. Jeff, you rule. Next song is Panopticon. Panopticon, Panopticon? I know you you probably pronounced it better than I did. What, how did you pronounce it? I think I did it in my Buffalo accent. Panopticon. Panopticon. Uh, Chicago. Panopticon. <laughs> this was the second single from Oceania. It was originally released as a promotional single to Radio Airplay on September 15th, 2012. In an interview with Music Radar, Corgan stated, it's similar to Quasar in that we had the opening riff and didn't know what to do with it. I sat for it. It sat for a while, but everybody felt strongly about it. It had a, dare I say, modern feeling to it, but still in the style of guitar that I like to play. Ultimately, I just sat down and wrote the song on the piano. Sometimes when you've got a riffy song, it helps to just play the chords with no rhythm, and then you hear the song in it. It's those very Paul McCartney wings-type chords, Broadway-type chords. What I'm most proud of from a songwriting standpoint is how it goes from a D major to A minor. It goes from a very majorly feel into something sorrowful, almost a Spanish feel. I don't know how the heck I did that, but it's one of my favorite things in the song. How you can keep the key but change the emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And then this is the one that he used called the Kimberly K guitar, uh, which was a Kimberly Bison guitar, which I believe was the one that he used on Mayonnaise? If I'm remembering right, if I'm, I probably am remembering wrong, but I, I believe that's what the Kimberly K guitar was, the one that kind of has that squeal to it. So, Pat, what are your feelings on Panopticon? Again, the bass sounds great in the song and all throughout the album, but you know, when you listen on good headphones to this, you're rewarded with really the bass is it like sounds great on every track, but but this one in particular. Um, it was interesting the there's another interesting thing throughout this album and on the song is the use of backing vocals yeah because obviously that's been a big thing in the recent years the last you know five years of the band's albums and stuff with katie and sierra um but this is this sort of harkens forward to that you know to the to what they're currently doing or what they've been doing but it also um 
I don't know. Again, it kind of creates some tones of like older pumpkin stuff, which yep. there's some examples later in the album that really kind of sound like that. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, this song at about the 130 mark, that very cure like interlude with that riff. Wrote and, that down too. Yeah, man. And that, that super gothy bass. That's some Simon Gallup shit. It's like, great. It's yeah. so good. It's like, and then it, it to me, it ends up kind of sounding like Zwan doing like the Cure Faith album or something like that. Dude, he, I wrote that same shit. Dude. Yeah, it's it's just beautiful. <laughs> like that chunky, gothy bass that happens throughout. Oh. I mean, they do a lot of things with the bass throughout, but um, yeah, it, it's real. So many different things happen in these songs, but they feel so coherent and kind of smooth too. It's not like. They're not like overindulgent. They're indulgent, but not overindulgent. They serve the song. They serve the song, and there is this like, not uh, yeah, like a pop. Sen- I was gonna say pop sensibility, and stop myself as though that's like a bad. <laughs> Billy obviously has that. Yeah. It, you know, it's this balance of like this big time music head, like music nerd, prog, like deep guitar fan. You know, really good guitar players. Um, but with this inherent like pop sensibility and that's really on display throughout this album too it's like just like really catchy good songs um yeah this is another great one i feel like this is still to me this is still like the um the gear up or the the you know like settling into the album kind of but it's you know another another great one out of the out of the gate and you got to give it up for that the bass sound for sure Given our history, we we tend to like the second tracks of yeah. Pumpkin albums, and this yeah. like, kind of fits in that same kind of like quiet mm-hmm. type of you know placement that really yeah. works, like Jelly Belly or whatever. Mm-hmm. I guess technically that's a third track, but you know what I mean. Yeah. But yeah. I I mean Nicole, we're just gonna keep gushing about Nicole's contribution, but just like a Peter Hook mm-hmm. or Simon Gallup from The Cure, they they do these intricate and unique bass parts that are uniquely theirs that serve the song and somehow don't take too much um focus away but then when you notice it you really notice it you're like wow how is it possible to be that cool and not take away all the focus of the song because it really is impressive what she's doing on this song it sounds so good especially at that part that you pointed out yeah and the elements that's a good point the elements of the like being billy's voice guitars like people have had a lot of opinions in the past especially sort of post-reformation pumpkins about like well this is too heavy in the mix billy's vocal you know yeah yeah there there's like such distinct sounds happening with the singing and the guitar and the bass and the drums and they all share focus really well like they each in each song there's like they each element kind of has moments to shine but it all builds together really well i love it i mean this song it kind of has it harkens back to the fuzz sound of like pisces a little bit uh but it has kind of a little bit of a queens of the stone age kind of stomp and groove to it uh with that that kind of i don't want to say crunchy that fuzzy uh thick Mm -hmm. guitar sound i I, i'm a big fan of this song i think it's a great second track it kind of glides you into the album it's, yeah. it's a really cool follow-up yeah fantastic song love it all right our next track up is the celestials I may see 
The Celestials is the first single from Oceania. It was originally sent to Radio Airplay as a promotional single on June 21st, 2012. The band performed the song on The Tonight Show with Jay Little. Hey, all right, I'm doing so it's better. It's like a total time warp because I feel like <laughs> this is post Jay retiring. But he's back, baby. Conan. Hey, yeah, Conan. You, do, was... you don't have The Tonight Show. I do. Yeah, we don't have to get into all that. But, man, yeah. oh, man, it is weird. It's like, oh, yeah, this is. I thought we were in 2012. Right. Now, but nope. <laughs> nope. Jay, yeah. Jay still got it. Oh, boy. Uh, we're glad you're doing better, Jay. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Wish him the best. He got burned up, but he's all good. Um, released in autumn 2012, this seven-inch single came packaged in a cardboard box and a T-shirt. It was sold exclusively at Target of unknown quantity. Mm. And I remember seeing on social media people were wearing that shirt. I was like, where do they get yeah, this shirt? But Target. Like, Target, man. Target's still got some shirts that they do that are like Target exclusives. They have some cool shirts. They have pumpkin shirts too yeah. that are like that's why I think I think a lot of younger generations see those shirts and like, oh this is cool and they check yeah, out the band. Yeah. And I really do think that like having shirts that like Target and Walmart and all these places really help. Yeah, why not? Uh, it, that's what kind of made the band into this kind of like legacy status i think yeah it helps with it. it's pretty smart because our 90s selves could have the instinct to say like oh that's not cool for some reason that's selling no. but like yeah that's totally true like you see you know we're sitting across from a high school i see kids wearing the exact same t-shirt like misfit shirts nirvana shirts like just and beetle shirts and stuff but it's like all those things are probably available at Target, which is what cements it as like these are still bands. Yeah, that are relevant to be thinking about. Yeah, you know, they may be old, but like they're 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 quality and stand that you know you might want to. Yeah, you youngster might want to <laughs> wear their shirt. The youth. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean that's the same way when we were growing up in the the late eighties and nineties, where it's like the Hendrix or Zeppelin shirts of the Doors. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like oh yeah, this is our parents' music, but these are the cool ones. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, the the song had a, a working title of. Oh wait, I, I want to say you said that we're across from the high school. We're not recording this uh, by choice across from a high school. It's just we're camped location. out. We're on camped the out. Line. Yeah, we're just hoping that the youngsters come on to say uh, what they think about the pumpkins. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. anyway, uh, so yeah, this song had a working title of Special K, which we'll talk about because I'm confused by this uh, this lyric. In an interview with Music Radar, Corgan stated, I have all of these vintage keyboards that we just crank out when I need something, so I don't really know what's on here. It's some super highly obscure 70s keyboard, he added. The arrangement is kind of like classic MTV circa 1994. You start with the acoustic and then the band kicks in grunge. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Pat, what are your thoughts on this song, The Celestials? I love this song. Um, this is obvious. This is one that has kind of worked its way into, you know, set lists at least in recent years at solo shows and stuff of his. It's kind of become a classic, you know, in people's minds. I I, I don't know what that lyric means, but I love it. I will be special. Ca- it's just like, it just works for me. And and I think part of them like, is he talking about? ketamine the drug right yeah that's what people that's what most people think that's what people think of or the cereal or the cereal (laughs) but i mean the fact that it has two very popular very different meanings already that's like billy bait right there you know yeah we know billy we know how he lives and i respect it it's like it's i i feel like a good songwriter uh uses words and phrases that conjure a feeling and leaves the listener able to kind of or you know in a position where they have to kind of like wonder what it you know you could insert a lot of your own meaning in it 
I don't know. Maybe, I'm sure the, the ketamine meaning is not lost on him. That's baked into it in some way. Also, a very different drug in terms of perception. Like, ketamine, I don't know about you, but growing up, you know, I had, like, I would always hear about ketamine as, like, a, a very scary drug. But now it's like the it hot a club new thing. Yeah, yeah, like but you would get into a K hole, right? Yes, and <laughs> like it's horse tranquilizers. But now it's like, from what I hear, it's like, you know, the hot fun drug, and people are do you know people are using it kind of therapeutically, but also as a party drug. But yeah, just the the way that the perception of ketamine has changed in the last ten years, I think is is noteworthy. Yeah, since we're talking special K. And even when I was listening to it last night, and of course I'm going to sound like a broken record because I say this about every single Pumpkins album, but there's no exception for this one. It's a headphones album. Yeah, big time. And it's an album. Yeah. I think it works as a whole. I mean, like there are songs that you can definitely put out and put on a playlist, but I think that this is a a very uh, specific vision, a sound that Mm -hmm. works as a whole, but like... Uh, again, this is no exception, and stop making exceptions for it, Pat. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it really is just like listening on headphones. You hear all these amazing things on it. Yeah. Um, but the special when I was listening to it last night, and I was like, oh, reading the lyrics along with it, even like um, special K means like almost like to me, it felt like I will be special, and K is a person. Yeah. You yeah. know, like um, I will be special for you. I will, yeah. you know, show up, or I will, you know, be who you want me to be. Yeah. And I'm yeah. more than likely reading into that. It's just what I took from it, and maybe it's because my wife's uh, name starts with a K. Yeah. You know? No, <laughs> that, like, that's you know, like so. that's beautiful. You can find there's like it's almost like uh, in the, the in try 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 it kicks off with pop tart. What's our mission? Yeah. It's like that. I feel like I've we've learned to like kind of. It was like a nickname for the person he was dating at the time or something or he had right. some specific meaning for the veronica's for right we were we were trying to oh, maybe, remember because yeah. this is when he broke up with one of the members for the veronica's which i assume they're on good terms since they came out yeah yeah to sing i right the hollywood bowl show we went to yeah so yeah yeah um but yeah it's it's such a great lyric just to just to close the book on i will be special k um and yeah lyrically this song never let the summer get you to, it's so like um catchy it's so catchy like there there's tendency or a sort of a an area that billy explores where the lyrics especially m- more recently the lyrics are very kind of poetic and a little cryptic you know but he's also capable of like kind of really straightforward types of lyrics that are just really catchy and really you know hook you like even like i'm gonna love you 101 percent like very clear you know yeah. it's like it's like you know very clear but very yeah it's like that thing we we're talking about of this being maybe the progiest the band has been had been in a long time but also the poppiest in a in a great way and just at that 223 mark man when he oh. when he says i'm gonna find you and just everything that so good the, the energy that happens there it's just yeah beautiful <laughs> Yeah, this is one of those songs where um, 
I remember when I first heard it, I was like kind of okay on it, but like of course with time and uh, maturity, yeah, it really does resonate a different way with me now. Because mm-hmm. there's so much in this song lyrically that I just really love and that resonates with me, yeah. especially with the lyric of "Everything I Want Is Free." Because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. As as you know, with our profession, we live paycheck to paycheck True. or gig to gig, and sometimes you're in those light moments and that can be very stressful but like for me recently i've been in that place where financially i'm not quite where i want to be Mm -hmm. but personally in my life with my daughter and my wife and just in general yeah it's it feels like and i hate using the word blessed because it of a you know feels a little (laughs) bit like you know you have it on yeah yeah. you know the wall somewhere from you know uh world market but i it really does feel like I've been really taking stock about like, oh, this is nice that I get to spend this time with my daughter or yeah. like I have this. I'm, I'm happy in my marriage, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. even though we stress about money, there's there's other things that we really enjoy and it costs nothing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and even like with creativity, you know, that's another thing, too. It's like, yes, uh, we're in a very particular situation now where AI could easily take what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And put us out of work you know where creativity is not valued with um, not to get into the the specifics of our industry but like with things like hbo max you know uh cutting shows and yeah and firing people and it, it feels a, like a really scary time in our industry where the creatives aren't it's been happening actually yeah where we're being exploited and it feels like we you know aren't being valued for what we bring and i feel like that can be that can really bum you out because you're like well then what is my creativity but then you realize like oh i don't need anybody to pay me to be creative that's true yeah (laughs) yeah it's like it it, and you know sometimes these things sound cliche but they're cliches for a reason like the everything i want is free you know the best things in life are free yeah i totally agree and it's you're right this this being in this you know i'm sure a lot of people not to make it just about our industry but like you know, it can really make you feel devalued and insecure and like, you know, excluded or whatever, but no one's got your family. You you are the only person or you guys are the only people to, to have your, to be lucky enough to be in your family. Me too. And, and no one's got your creativity either. You know, it's like the most important things are sort of protected and precious and like, they're a cool club that only we get to be in, you know? True, yeah, yeah. Whereas you spend so much time thinking about the cool clubs, you're, you feel like you're not invited <laughs> into. But, yeah. like, y- uh, yeah, it's, you know, again, best things in life are free. I, you know, it's easy to sort of, like, roll your eyes or just not even process that line. But when it's presented slightly different in a song, Magic of Music, it gets you thinking about that again. Yeah, so I really came around to this song and i really love it and i think that the the course the musicianship once again the bass sounds amazing there's just like really cool crunch kind of in the background like guitar kind of crunchiness that's yeah. on the second chorus that i really love that i heard for the first time and the little keyboard touches that they start to introduce um that are really interesting because it's not a really a keyboard sound that they've used really yeah. much before mm-hmm. and that's what i really like about this album because they're kind of like experimenting with these like kind of old moogish yeah. you know like kind of sounds that kind of sound like we'll get to it later but like with um the early like aughts emo a little yeah, bit we're yeah. kind of bringing that back um mm-hmm. but anyway celestials great song any other thoughts on that um 
I love it. Yeah, it's one of my favorites on here. I think it's become a, a neo-classic for a reason. Yeah, excellent song. You're free with me, Pat. You're free with me. We got a little, uh, let's see. We, we missed this. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, just... I haven't been doing this, by the way, with guest co-host. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, well, I'm not even going to try because, uh, yeah. The uh, Well, the album may. Fuck it. The next song. <laughs> the next song is Violet Rays. I'll leave with anyone this night. Violet Rays, uh, although not released as a single, it charted on the Billboard Rock Digital chart due to online sales peaking at number 27. Huh. And in Music Radar, he says, this song in particular really shows what the band is bringing to the table. There's a certain vibe and ambiance that's very much them. There's a lot of parts to it. We're rehearsing it right now for the tour, and we're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Laughter. That's what it says. <laughs> That's the way Billy laughs, right? Ha 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 ha. But yeah, it says it was written as a straight acoustic song, starting with just the ascending figure. After months of hearing the basic demo, Corgan broke down the song into chords without any rhythm, wrote the song melodically, and reverse engineered it back into the riffs. The arpeggios heard in the recording or a Moog 55 keyboard. I've always heard like Mog. I, there's a documentary about how to pronounce. I mean, the the, the creator actually says what it's. Yeah. Is it Moog? It's Moog. Yes. You're I've right. heard Moog. It's Moog. It's Moog. I've always called it Moog because it's. Yeah. Moog know, is like the. Yeah. That's the, what I always read. Catch it all. As. Yeah. But, it's, but it's I think it's Moog. Moog. You're correct on that. Uh, great documentary, by the way. But yeah, you can definitely hear it in this and then in the other ones that kind of sound. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, Pat, what are your thoughts on Violet Rays? This is another favorite of mine. Um, yeah, it shows what the band is bringing to the table, but it puts some. It's like something. It's something new. I don't know. There, there's something so. I love the lyrics. I love the sort of um, position Billy takes as the protagonist in this song. Like, for it, like, and I'm sure you can read it with it, 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 on many levels. But the the him being the sort of quote like you know like slut of the song you know right. like I, I like that because there's a lot of billy lyrics over the you know like over the years where he it, it's almost like um he's taking a position of sort of um criticizing 
whether it's cool kids or you know like like no good girl like whatever it's like he is kind of taking the position of that which i think is really refreshing and cool um it's also just it's a door like in some ways that where he's like am i the only one you see like that that part is familiar but there's something really new sounding about this song kind of more than like anything yet on the album um and i again it kind of just to me you know it's just being reminiscent of a door like in that part it also just gets me thinking about sort of like we were saying the new ground you could kind of he kind of breaks with in the absence of jimmy you know um but yeah and then just going back to the lyrics you know lyric you don't often hear these days lyrics like babe don't leave me please believe me you know like but i i i appreciate how straightforward and kind of blunt the lyrics are including you know i'll kiss anyone tonight like yeah it's like it's like this statement someone would make like pre-gaming before like going out to a <laughs> yeah. bar or something you know which is obviously not billy's vibe but i like how he's stepping into this as like the protagonist in the song stepping into this sort of newish you know role um but then j- on top of that just this the sound just like or the song just cooks like it's just you know it's just a great song and I can, it, I'm, it would still be a great song, just scaled back to the acoustic version. But the way they dress it up is is really beautiful. Yeah, I mean, this is, um, I think everybody's been at this point. Like you go through a, a big breakup, and you're just like, I don't know, I just want some kind of connection. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what we're getting. I, I don't know if I'm reading into this right, but like, cause the "I'll kiss anyone tonight" lyric used to bother me. Uh, because it was so kind of on the nose. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if how I feel about this. But then when you think of it from the 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 angle of like the desperation to be wanted or needed yeah. or the semblance of love of any kind. It's pretty vulnerable. When you're lonely, yeah. it's it's a it's pretty profound to have these kind of feelings and then express them in a song kind of that naked. Yeah. Um so I really appreciate that. But the for me what really makes this song pop is the musicianship and the mm-hmm. like kind of ebbs and flows and right off the bat we get the return of the ebo which yeah. is a kind of classic pumpkin sound and then that bass group comes in and with the interesting keyboard flourishes are really cool part of this kind of reminds me and not say that it, it sounds like it it just kind of gives me the vibe of have you ever heard not a surf's killian's red I don't think so. It's off of the album Let Go. I never really dug into their albums, but they were great. Let Go is a definite one that you should check out. But um, on Let Go, I believe it was Let Go, there's a song called Killian's Red, which is about kind of being at the bar, at at a bar. and um, But it kind of gives me some of that kind of uh, feel to it, which Mm -hmm. I really love. some really interesting lyrics in here like does love matter when loves the actor yeah and that whole bridge is such a great part because it soars and he's just like the way he sings it it just it really gets me every time it gets to that part please believe me 
I feel like from 150 on, especially, it really like grabs me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the layered vocals that Nicole offers at, on Am I the Only One You See are so mm-hmm. good. Great so vocals, good. yeah. Great use of background vocals kind of throughout the album, I think. Am I the only one you see? All right, next up is My Love is Winter. Love is Winter. The song was originally intended to be a ballad, but the band felt it lacked potential with the ballad sentiment. In a 2012 interview with Music Radar, Corgan stated the song gives a few nods to the progressive rock band Yes. And Billy says, again, this is a song where the uniqueness of the band's contributions stand out. Jeff plays some really cool, floaty, almost Echo in the Bunnymen type lines. Nicole is super active melodically, playing a nice counterpoint to the vocal. And Mike is a fantastic groove drummer. So, uh, Pat, what are your thoughts on My Love is Winter? Yeah, it's, it's kind of similar. I mean, I I did this did this is probably just because of the song title, but it st- I started thinking about AFI who have, they have a song called Love Like Winter. But it's it's this kind of um, song kind of reminds me of like AFI's evolution to where they really got like interesting. Like I loved their earlier kind of more like hardcore like misfitsy type of stuff. Yeah. But I was listening to that stuff recently, and that stuff, in terms of like connecting with it, is harder to connect with. Like uh, lyrically, like you know, the, just singing about like we are the wretched ones you know like that type of stuff it's cool it's great it's got a there's a place for it but when afi and just follow me with this afi thing because i do think there's like there is a connection between the bands obviously but um when they started really freely mixing their influences and kind of breaking out of like uh it, it which included like 80s stuff and like synths and this it, it I don't know. It it reminded me of AFI on the song title level, but also sound wise, I do think, like it, you know, they're they're pulling similar influences from that AFI also likes to pull in some of their stuff from like post you know two thousand AFI. But anyway, I love the the um, again, bass wise, the types of sort of like gothy, poppy, new wave influences which Billy mentions. Yep. And then at about the one fifty mark that far away ghostly guitar sound plus 
that more playful kind of Rick Ocasek style keyboard. It's yeah. just such a great melding of different sounds with like, I don't want to say it's not humor, but like it's, it's like there's some like heady, heavy influences here, but it's all done with this like light poppy sense. It's just such a great melding of different, yeah, different um, influences and different textures and stuff. It's great. You know, again, they're, they're like, folding in these different in these different sounds in a really seamless interesting way my love is winter I think it's interesting that he mentions Echo and the Bunnymen after also saying, because you take the, because other than Owner of a Lonely Heart, yeah. yes, really is, it's very Yeah, uh, that's dense. like, yeah, it's, it's yeah very not proggy. accessible music. Not at all, other than that one single that they had um, that was big in the 80s, um, Owner of a Lonely Heart, like I said. Yeah, it feels like it does marry Yes with Echo and the Bunnymen because mm -hmm. Echo and the Bunnymen are another band that I feel like has a pop sensibility that yeah. they brought with to the goth movement. Yeah. In Scarlet Nights I saw you So cruelly you kissed me Your lips a magic world Your sky all hung with jewels The killing will come too soon Fate up against your will Yeah. And that's kind of what I feel like is happening here. You're just combining Yes with Echo and the Bunnymen. Mm -hmm. And then it's got that keyboard element of Yes, you know, or that proggy element. And also that's what kind of reminded me of early 2000s, like emo, like the band The Anniversary. Do you remember The Anniversary at all? I vaguely, I don't think I really knew them very well, but they, they were like, I mean, they weren't around for very long. They had like two albums, yeah. but they used a lot of this kind of keyboard sound and, um, yeah, they, they were pretty good. Uh, they were great live. Yeah, I, I feel like there's because that's where we get the uh, Mog. Was it Mog? Yeah. Or what did you Moog. say? Moog. Sorry, I'm never gonna get this right. The the Mogish keyboards uh, feels new for the band too because you mm -hmm. really don't hear that much yeah. in the Pumpkins' history. So I like that. And um, listening to the lyrics, is it like is he kind of being reflective about how his his love can be cold and distance or like it's like a bitter cold like winter yeah or is it like i guess it's your interpretation of what winter means to you or what right. the, the general idea of what billy's going for of like what does he believe winter is mm -hmm. you know how does he look at winter because we know that it kind of varies here and there but for the the sake of this song i don't know uh but i really i really love it like especially with the uh, sacred hold in my mirror uh Build up is really cool. I really like that part of the song. Mm -hmm. 
just like the how the the chorus kind of takes this interesting turn. I like the punch behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a solid song. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. So this song was originally titled "He Went to Jared," but they later changed it to "One Diamond, One Heart." Just kidding. It was yeah. It was originally called Zales. No, just kidding. <laughs> one diamond, one heart. I'm always on your side, forever near your lights. Always on your side. However you must fight within your darkest nights. I'm always on your side. It's loud. Frank. Yes. Uh, it originally had a working title of Four Winds Chime and was attempted as an acoustic song in a 2012 interview with Music Radar. Corgan attributed the turning point of the recording process to be when bassist Nicole wrote the bass part. He says, in terms of unexplored territory, for me as a writer, someone like Nicole can bring this different melodicism, an approach where you can play something simple and you don't have to rely on strings or guitars to get it passed. You've got another voiced instrument. If you played her lines on a piano, they'd be very beautiful. But there's something about a string instrument, an expressiveness. That's why it's such a good band record, because it's not just me creating the majority of the picture. It's a wider set of influence, a wider palette. Yeah, that I mean, it really works, you know. I, I. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on this? You know, I first of all, I think it's really cool that that it was the the vibe of the making of this, you know. But like, especially after all these constant lineup changes in the band, like Billy had firmly become like the only constant in the band, you know. But which could be the time to sort of go inward. But I think it's really cool, how, like, it really paid off that he was open and collaborative with the making of this, because everything we're talking about is, like, this part sounds great, and also this part sounds great, and also there's a collective vision where it all really works together. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really love the synth sound on the song. Um, it has, like, this kind of, you know, 80s futuristic vibe, but also a little touch of that sort of, like, pumpkins you know the kind of like renaissance pumpkins like uh the the bard you know that we talked <laughs> yeah, about yeah. it's got like kind of a it almost reminded me and i haven't listened to this to to back this up but like the the safety dance by yes. Men without hats you yes. know kind of like a, a just a jaunty sort of synthy but also you know uh classical uh era vibe to it um, and I love the safety dance. That's a great song to like dance to your dance with your toddler too. Well, you can dance if you want to. You could if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> but if your toddler don't dance, I love that it gives you the the option. But also, right, yeah. it's like you you could dance if you want to. But but but, but yeah, <laughs> gonna, we can't be friends. Yeah. <laughs> so your choice. Think about it. Um, yeah, I love I love a song that gives you the option to dance, but it strongly <laughs> encourages you. 
And then, you know, the last minute and a half of the song really comes alive for me. And it's especially great on headphones with the bass. Uh, like you said, you know, the bass really stands out on this one, like Billy said. But all the elements coming together. Um, and it's got, just in terms of the mood it creates, like, it's it's got, you know, as you enter into the song, it's like, there's parts that make you feel like you're entering like a dark night of the soul and then also like a bright sunshiny morning kind of all at once you know and yeah. it got me thinking about like you know the title i don't know if he's writing about marriage here like a wedding ring it's hard not to make that comparison it's hard not to make that the, comparison yeah. i don't know if he was when did he and chloe get married i don't even know no this it, was it wasn't way, yet this was before that yeah, yeah so well, i don't they actually haven't they're getting married oh that's right <laughs> yeah, yeah they're yeah, not yeah, even but, yeah but as far as like yeah, the partnership yeah. yeah yeah but um it's hard not to but it's hard not to think about marriage listening to that song um so maybe i'm biased by the title or what the thought of wedding rings or something but that feeling of kind of constant, like entering a dark night and like a, a bright, hopeful morning. Like that's kind of like what marriage is like. It's just a constant and it's both happening at once. It's like a constant state of like, you know, effort and comfort and happiness and like strife. And, you know, it's like it's it, so if it is about marriage, it does a good job evoking kind of what like the whole of a marriage feels like you know yeah and maybe even in a way that is different than like well who who am i to say than like just dating or something you know it's kind of like i don't know i mean i think anybody can relate to it whether you be in a you know a relationship uh you know a partnership whatever it is that you want to define it as there's something about like being like you said kind of through the hard times it, it, to me this felt like a ride or die yeah, so, yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm always here for you. I'll always be there, kind of sentiment. Um, so one of the lyrics that really stands out to me that I really love from this—that's one of my favorite from the albums—is "Lovers as lonely as lanterns lost," which is such right. a cool. I don't know. Just it's so evocative. You know, I've used that word before about like these lyrics, but like it's true. I mean, I just I something about that lyric just really resonates with me mm -hmm. and i'll be the bad guy here because i feel like this song still hasn't really connected to me it's been one that i really struggled with when the album came out to kind of i would usually skip it to be honest with you mm -hmm. because it did feel a little bit too much like commercial radio at the time mm -hmm. you know it just felt too pop and breezy for my taste but again like this this has grown on me a lot i still haven't connected to it but i really uh, enjoy it and especially in the in the whole of the album. Yeah. I think yeah. It works. Well, it's all cyclical. Goes round and round. Kind of like pinwheels mother moon mistress of the sun say i got you i got you sister sound lovers of the tune say i got you i got you i got you 
In an interview with Music Radar, Corgan said reading Life by Keith Richards may have inspired the open G tuning. Initially, the band all enjoyed the song but didn't like the direction it was heading during recording. Corgan attributed the advancement of the song to Jeff Schroeder. There's something about the melodicism that Jeff is starting to tap into in his own playing, and it's been a huge contribution. He plays completely different from me, but that's what I want. He's really coming into his own. And he continues to say, that's all Jeff's guitar stuff at the end. What I love about Jeff as a musician is he's always learning. He's always pushing himself. Technically, he's far superior to me. But where I've been able to help him is not just to say, study this guy, but to explain to him why I think a particular guitarist would help him. And he came back to me and said, I'm really understanding why you asked me to listen to this guy. So, Pat, what are your thoughts on pinwheels? Well, the guitar is beautiful um i think around the 130 mark in particular that that beautiful guitar sound that that marries so well with what the synth is doing mm -hmm. it and which it, it also it, it kind of reminds me of like a video game like a retro video game meets like an antique music box or something you know yeah which is like which is really cool and it, it, you know i i think it's pumpkinsy in retrospect, but like the, you would I don't know you wouldn't have compared uh, pumpkin song to sounding like a retro video game I don't think prior to this. Um, but up top it kind of there 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 are certain songs that kind of nod ahead to to you know more recent stuff and this yeah. sounds like up top it doesn't end up going in this direction but it sounds like it could turn into a hooray situation <laughs> right you know right, yeah, like yeah. it sounds like it could take a different turn or rather that there are certain sounds that he was that they were beginning to play with um that they took further you know um lyrically this has one of the standout or, or I don't know. It has this lyric: "You don't deserve me, but I deserve you." Mm -hmm. Such a great Billy lyric. It's <laughs> right. like you could think about it in so many different ways. Like, on the one hand, it, like the face value is like, "Oh well, fuck you." That you know, it's like it's like Billy playing the heel. You know, like right. I, like you, I'm too uh, like I'm too good for you, or you like you don't deserve me, but I deserve at least you, if not more. You know. But then it's like, well, wait, what? You start thinking about it, and it's like. Oh, maybe he means like you don't deserve, you don't deserve this. Like you, 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 you don't deserve to be put through the, you yeah. know, the, 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 this of me, you know. Um, but maybe like, but I deserve it from you, you know, like something like I, right. like. So, but it, either way, whatever he means by it, it doesn't really matter, you know, because it's like, it's a bold lyric. It's taking the risk of sounding like an asshole, <laughs> right. which I think Billy does really well and is ultimately part of what we love about him. I think it's like his his sort of um, what puts off his prickliness is part of what makes him so interesting as a songwriter and a musician. So right. just wanted to flag that lyric because I think it probably stands out to a lot of people. I mean, he really he really like shines a spotlight on that lyric in the song. Um I also another great lyric that it was 
is um, finding a way to make the loss seem new. I wrote that down too. Man, yeah, it's just like wow. You know, like it's also that's like a vulnerable. It's a vulnerable thing. It's kind of admitting to sort of like hanging on to loss and like having it as be part of your identity to the point where you have to like make it fresh, refresh it for yourself, yeah, you know, like yeah. it, it just really, really good songwriting. Um, and this is what I was talking about th with the backing vocals, where the combination of the voices that you're hearing, it kind of, it doesn't sound it, 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 like Darcy per se or James not the exact sound, but the combination, it kind of creates like a Darcy and James, like backing vocal. Maybe it does sound like them, or maybe it's just doing a good job replicating sort of just the vibe of having them singing backup. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is like, and I don't mean this as like an accusation at all, because I don't think I, I wouldn't even, you know, begin to accuse this album of trying too hard to sound like past yes. pumpkins i mean i think it's just a rock solid forward leaning album that sort of tickles a few sweet spots of like you know pumpkin nostalgia or fan, you know old school fans i guess but yeah i don't know what did you think about that i, I that was the yeah. only moment where i really started thinking about those two mm -hmm. because it was evoking like some kind of memory of them yeah that that whole that whole part with the layered vocals because you got nicole doing various layered vocals and then billy's layered vocals so the combination of that together really yeah. kind of swims and feels really cool Yeah, I, I always like the intro. It's kind of cool to hear the pumpkins, like I said, do something different like that. Mm -hmm. And it grew on me a lot. Um, that single bass riff into guitar sounds great, you know? And then it goes into that kind of acoustic part. And this is where uh, the part of the album that kind of starts to feel a little like Tom Petty-ish to me. Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it kind of gives me a little bit of that. There's like an underlying Americana to the yeah. pop. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it kind of starts to lean a little bit towards what we'll hear on OG Lala or his yeah, like that's um, true. future yeah. um, solo albums. So I thought that was kind of a cool, like we get a little bit nod to the future. Yeah. Um, and, and like, it kind of gives me a little bit of shades of like even American Gothic, you know? Yeah. That. I, yeah. Yeah. It's like America. Yeah. Because he was doing that kind of leaning into that kind of hard for American Gothic, but this feels like it takes the track he was on with American Gothic and just beautifully merges his own and Jeff's and the rest of the band's kind of, um, kind of rock savant tastes it takes that kind of core and just puts like such an eclectic bunch of like coats of paint on top of it we've talked about a good song is a good song is a good song and you could strip it down right and build it back up in any number of ways but 
Yeah. I really love it. You mentioned like I deserve that one part where he just says, I deserve you. And yeah. it just kind of trails off. And it echoes. Like if you listen yeah. with headphones, this is again like a really good song to listen to on headphones. You can kind of hear this like haunting like fade away mm-hmm. as it like as the echo fades. It's really cool. Yeah. And um it kind of feels like a Zwan esque solo there at the end. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I got Zwan on the mind because of the twentieth anniversary and him bringing it up on the podcast about the the box set coming mm-hmm. sometime in the near twenty years. That stomp, I think uh, I wrote down, the stomp gets a little close to the the Hey Stomp Ho core, you know, that mm-hmm. there was of this yeah, era, yeah, you know, right. the Lumineers, the kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't love, but... I like the guitar sound. Yeah, the the yeah, the I, <laughs> hey stomp ho uh, core is what I like to call it. But um, yeah, uh, mason jar rock as you will. I think I know the the ground zero of that, which is a great song. But um, you know the Joe Strummer and the Mescalero song, um, Johnny Appleseed. Oh right, yeah. That's from like two thousand. It's like a good. 10 years before this stuff like the hey like it's yeah. it's like got that like i think joe and his and company were sort of like build it you know yeah, like this they built folky kind yeah. of punk like you know thing that sort of turned into barn wedding mason jar <laughs> i'm drinking water i got nothing against yeah, you mason, got mason jars jar. yeah, we love mason jar we're we love pro. mason jars so don't mason don't write it in, yeah if the mason family is listening we <laughs> the love free you. masons yeah we love you we don't want to cross the free mason <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. No, but that end guitar sound, like it just has this California flair to it that I really dig. It kind of, like I said, it kind of has this underlying Americana feel, Tom Petty kind of feel to it that I really dig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and man, Tom Petty, it's like he, you know, obvi- I think people realize this when he went, but he was like one of those people when he died. Like he's one of those people we kind of took for granted, but like yeah. man, he is a giant, you know, like in terms of like when you go through his catalog, yeah. You're just like, fuck hit after hit after yeah hit. and then you watch that four hour documentary oh i haven't oh. done that yet Ooh, it's good yeah, yeah man tom petty love him All right, our next track up is the title track, Oceania.
Oceania. I've been calling it Oceania because I go back and forth between what I go uh, back and it's forth. It's hard. But yeah. you you had mentioned that uh, Jeff pronounced it. I think when we talked to Jeff, he said Oceania. So we'll go off. Of I that. mean, I have weird vowel sounds sometimes. My wife always makes fun of me for saying plaza, like plaza, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But then sometimes. I don't know. I mean, I'm a hayseed from Texas, so there's a lot of stuff that I kind of pronounce with a like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, you know. But then I also grew up close to Canada, and people in Canada would say, like, Gwen Stefani. Like, that's right. like Canadian Mario say. Yeah, of Mario. like, yeah. it's so vowels, guys. Vowels. <laughs> the They're crazy. English language is so weird. Yeah. So, in Music Radar, he says, the soloing, I think that's a strat. I know I hooked up the two phaser pedals back to back and they were exploding on each other as long as I kept playing. It worked, but if I stopped, it made this horrible death noise. For a long time, the song had only the opening figure and a few other parts. It was meant to be a long song and without the three-part sectioning that you hear in the recording. The final arrangement came together the same day it was recorded. Corgan also said the song gives nods to Yes and Evangelis. Uh, I don't know if you know Evangelis. I don't know Evangelis. So Evangelis uh, is probably, I mean, a lot of musical scores and stuff like that, but most people know his amazing work from uh, Cosmos, the Carl Sagan oh, okay. uh, Cosmos, mm -hmm. and how like it had the very ethereal spaciness, yeah. which is uh, amazing. But uh, what are your thoughts on this title track? I think it's, well, it's, you know, it's it's one of those centerpiece pumpkin album songs, for sure, title track. Super Cure-like in the best ways, I think, especially right up top. Um, I, 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 it's interesting you said it was never meant to have sort of the three section thing, but it works so well. I mean, the little ominous chime that kind of happens it, it, it's such a great moody reset before you go into this acoustic part which is its own really beautiful little acoustic moment but then man when you hit that five minute mark so good i mean it's yeah. just like beautiful you know it's funky gothy dreamy like fiery prime there's like a prime prim primitiveness to it and this progginess it's yeah, it's it's just one of the also the it's one of the songs where the drums do kind of take their turn at, like front and center, yeah. you know. Not that the drums are um inconsequential throughout the album. They do they're very present, but the drums kind of have their moment in the spotlight here. Um and then, you know, uh, uh, uh this is a long song obviously, so I'm kind of jumping throughout yeah, sections, but toward the end when we get this gnarly feedbacky shredding that um, I think he was talking about here, it's oh, it's just it's just beautiful.
it's this this is like a perfect example of I, me, for me personally, I didn't know what I was missing with this album. Right. I thought I knew it, but I hadn't given it. Same thing with like even an album like Machina, which I thought I had listened to a million times. Like slap on the headphones, you know, take some special K, <laughs> put on the eye mask, yeah. and just like, d- 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 yeah, really rewarding song to listen to the whole way through. Sensory deprivation tank. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Lock yourself in the room. Yeah. Uh, don't escape. Yeah, it's uh, an escape room yeah. <laughs> and a sensory deprivation tank all in one. Yeah, I mean, I this is a Pumpkins epic that I love. You know, I love the the three acts that it really has, and um, that last kind of Floyd like freak out solo that you mentioned. It's it's it feels like kind of Machina esque to mm-hmm. me. You know, it's giving me that vibe. Yeah, those vibes, and of course, I love the guitar tones usual. But yeah, that this song especially points out how much Nicole like kind of has this simon gallop you know like yeah, yeah that whole that whole that first section really does feel like disintegration era you yeah, know cure definitely. and um also what really stands out to me and apparently they had used this as their opening to some of their shows was mm. the goblin uh score to suspiria oh okay it has that and especially in that middle when it comes back and it's kind of warbly yeah it's yeah. almost like you're watching a a, a worn out vhs of suspiria yeah, right the the yeah the, the degradations or the yeah like the the sort of i guess analog kind of yeah the worn out sound of it exactly yeah. like you have a cassette tape that's just been played to hell you yeah know? yeah and uh suspiria a very unique and insane Dario Argento movie, yeah. which is one of my favorites of all time, makes practically no sense but looks beautiful, beautiful to look at. Scary, yeah. it's it's amazing. Um, if you haven't watched that, check it out. Also, what I re- what I thought I've been listening to Sear a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Just kind of having that separation. I'm like, man, I really like Sear. We already liked it yeah. to begin with, but something about that separation while listening to this album mm-hmm. kind of feels like it. It kind of Sear to me feels like the natural evolution of this yeah. album. Yeah, to me, I think so. And I feel like Black Forest Black Hills is like the continuation of yeah. o- uh, Oceania. Definitely. Because it has that same... I had similar moments where it's particular, And I also really love Sierra. Like, you know, I said it from the beginning, but... Um, and I haven't, like, you know, sat down and listened to that in a while. I was kind of listening to some of the newer tracks along with listening to this and comparing those. But, yeah, I, I can... You could definitely hear some seeds being planted of stuff that they would go on to 
um, explore and see here. At great, really great sounding stuff too. And again, this is a great headphone lesson because there's so many layers and so yeah. many little, there's so many things I caught this time, like the timpani strikes yeah, yeah. with the keyboard and stuff. And even like, I feel at one point it's like, it kind of, or maybe that's another song. It's later on that they use the timpani. They use it quite a bit in this, this album, but the layered vocals are amazing. Um, with Dreams I've Had part is cool going into that Mellotron string flute part, you know? I don't mm -hmm. know which setting that is, but it sounds like a Mellotron. And that acoustic sound is really rich and amazing. And like, again, this one kind of feels like it's nodding to OG Lala, uh, you know, the simple, almost folksy mm -hmm. uh, part of Billy. And I, I feel like there's just a repeat of Billy's voice as it fades away. That's kind of amazing. That was yeah. like another thing that it cut with headphones. And it feels like when it gets out of that, when it kind of fades back in, feels like you're almost like like that part because of the different, like the chimes and everything. It felt like it was almost like a dream state. Yeah. Like he yeah. was in this kind of dark atmosphere. Yeah. And then the acoustic part is him thinking of like the positive, you know, like he's kind of in this dream state. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to like the hellscape he's in. Yeah. Like this kind of feeling. I don't know. It's kind of what I got. It's so atmospheric like that. Because it's like a dream detour. And then yeah. he awakens back in the cold landscape almost. Mm -hmm. um, and Mike gets to fly with that drum part with those tom fills. He's yeah. just like constantly moving in this song. Just constantly moving. feels like Billy really put him through it in this yeah. song because yeah. with any Pumpkins epic you're gonna have to have a drum you know breakdown yeah. or a solo that's gonna show off and I love that the it's skills. the Tom's it's like kind of oh, um, so good it's like Tom centric um but yeah it almost reminded me I guess just because it's like heavy use of Tom's but all uh, uh the Kate Bush um off the second side of Hounds of Love, a jig of life, you know that oh, one. Oh yeah, Where yeah. The, it's like it's there's like a violin doing sort of like a jig, you know, like yeah. an Irish jig sounding thing, but with just these like pummeling toms that are like, it, yeah, it gives you this like primal heartbeat feeling, you it's know. So it's cool. really effective, really like rousing. constantly moving and I, I imagine I've seen I mean the Oceania live DVD but then also I've been watching for this you know uh, performances around yeah. this time and you just see Mike and he's just like constantly just constantly yeah. moving and it's really incredible Mike doesn't get enough credit I think he I thought he did an excellent job and um, 
For sure. Yeah. yeah the drums are beautiful on this album. I yeah. mean, it's like, it almost feels sacrilegious or something to compliment a drummer other than Jimmy, Jimmy or, you know, yeah. to elevate a, but, but whatever, like it, you know, I thought uh, Matt Walker did good too. Matt Walker's I mean, like great. Matt Walker, all the guests, you know, Kenny Arnoff and, you know, Joey yeah. Waronker and uh, Matt Cameron, all these people that they've had over the years have contributed. Yeah. They're all great. And like, but Jimmy is like, you know, essential core of the band. Yeah. But Mike having to step into this impossible situation and then have the chops that 1920 yeah. like that like good god you know and i think it's creatively fruitful too like the 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 you know adapting to new people like there's just this x factor that you, I, is different than what you probably would have gotten were it just jimmy and billy doing this did stuff. you watch that uh video i think it was the the one that was on um the one that was like on david lynch's weird website but they had an interview with uh, Billy as he was auditioning drummers and they show him auditioning oh, like really? the guy from System of a Down and oh, uh, some other wait, people. Wait, it was David Lynch put it out? Or it was... Yeah, it was like part of his website. I guess he had like a video uh, yeah, you know used... how he always yeah, goes on these yeah. weird like does the weather and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there was a correspondent because uh, I, I forgot what it's called but it was, uh, if you look it up but it's Mike Byrne, like, it's footage of him oh, auditioning cool. And him playing with Jeff and Billy. That's cool. And Billy just kind of being like, he's like, you're young. He's like, but your your tape, you know, stood out. Yeah, yeah. He's like, and he's just like looking at Jeff like being like, because when they're trying out the other drummers, you could tell it's like, oh, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, but yeah. But then something about he's just like smiling and he's like shaking his head and he's like looking at Jeff like, yeah, yeah, this, this kid's good. got it. Yeah. yeah, I gotta find that. That's really interesting. That's really cool. Me, I finally watched um, over the holidays. I watched Metallica, some kind of monster. Oh, you wait, you've never seen that? I had never seen it somehow. Oh my god! And it's I one was of the kicking best. myself for not seeing it it's earlier. One of the best I, I was hooked in immediately. I mean, old it made, Phil Tell. Yeah, it like <laughs> it. Oh god! But just just it made me think of the audition process, obviously, where oh they're god. and then you see all these people from other Twiggy Ramirez yeah. and like, um, oh, the guy from Jane's Addiction. What's his name's yeah. escaping me? Um, but yeah, and and you could just tell like um, when it works, their heads. You could just like see it on the other guys' faces. You yeah. know, like when the 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 current bassist is Robert like, Trujillo, killing yeah. it. Yeah, made me love Metallica. Made me start listening to Metallica again. Uh, new stuff sounds great. Yeah, I haven't new listened to that. Really I know good. there's a new album coming and a new a single out. Um, yeah. yeah, I gotta, I gotta check it out. Lux Etern Eterna uh -huh. is that the song? I haven't actually listened to it yet. Yeah, I love that stuff, man. It's both like super interesting. It's like demystifies the music making process a little bit because yeah. you're kind of you, you can relate to like oh yeah you could just tell when you're vibing with someone yeah but it also is very impressive like how you know skilled these people are i love it and speaking of skills them doing the doubled up kind of metal guitar neighing yeah solos yeah. it's just so i'm yeah. such a sucker for that show. oh yeah definitely
Well, I think it's fair to say that in terms of uh, best super long album songs by the Pumpkins, Oceania is a dark horse candidate. But now we're talking about a pale horse. I feel I feel okay about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, worked yeah. up to that. Pell Horse, Billy says that this song was written for his mother. He says, a lot of times when you have this kind of riff, you don't want to get too tricky. It creates a hypnotic effect. You don't want to change keys too much. So I lean back on some of those artists who use space well. In Old Pumpkin's ideology, if you started with the, that riff, the song would get bigger and louder. In this ideology, it actually gets smaller. And that's how you get the dynamic back up. Pat, what are, what are your thoughts on Pale Horse? I really like this one. This is kind of a dark horse for me in terms of, I don't know about favorites on the album, but it, it's one of those ones where the more I listen to it, the more it gets under my skin and the more it really, like it's, I'm thinking, I'm, it's like running through my head right now. Um, it does have an adore vibe, kind of, it, which there are moments nightmare. that remind, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah even just title wise, like nightmare, pale horse, you know. And it's about his mother, so... Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I know, there are a lot of moments... I mean, he also has the, you know, Mother Moon uh, lyric. Uh, it, but, yeah, there are a lot... And, and the thing about finding a way to make the loss seem new, I can't help but think, like, okay, this is Billy songwriting, you know, 14, 15 years after the death of his mother, which obviously looms large, you know. His parents loom large, as they all do in most of our lives, you know. Like, whether they were good or bad or there or not, you know. It's like a big, big thing. So, it feels like there's this this album, in some way, is about his mother. Um, I think this is a beautiful song. I had to look up what... Th I knew Thorazine was a drug. And right. in the lyrics that I've seen on a line, it's like spelled like a name you know thora zine like yeah thora birch you know remember american <laughs> beauty um so he's kind of turning this drug into a character which is a very sort billy. of billy take on it but it also can't it's like it is kind of um you know because he he's taught the song is about his mother being institutionalized which is this very painful subject matter to be thinking about um, and Thorazine is an anti—I don't know a ton about it, but it's an antipsychotic medication. Yeah. Um, so to be repeating that over and over again, that alone is like a very kind of vulnerable, bold lyric to be—you know—to be talking about your mother being institutionalized and like this drug that she may or may not have been on, but like giving different drugs, taking away different drugs. I think it's like—and then what he was saying about the sort of going against the instinct to like build it way up the simplicity of it is part of what makes it so powerful you know like you, you wouldn't want to hang too much else on this song so 
Yeah, I think it's it's and it would more than anything kind of fit in as an adore track, you know, just in terms of how it sounds. So I, I really love this one. I think this this was a bit a grower on me. This is one that I didn't I didn't uh, necessarily notice as much, but listening to the album a lot recently, this one is one of the ones that has surprisingly stuck with me quite a bit. This is a, I mean, this is one of my favorite tracks off the album, but it's such a brilliant song. And one of the things that Billy is really great about where it's not just the lyrical content, it's the, the content of the music mm-hmm. follows and it complements what the subject matter is. Because if again, if you listen with headphones, this is where I was hearing some really interesting layers especially with the timpani because they detune the timpani on certain parts there are certain parts of the song where it goes like yeah yeah lowers down and at one point they like they reverse it and chop it a little bit so Mm -hmm. it has this kind of jarring effect Really it's like a drug it. of the effect of exactly a drug. yeah and like we know like i mean look we're uh human beings in the year 2020 <laughs> so as we know 20. yeah I, I said 2012 because of uh, this but um in 2023 uh the time of this recording but like you know most people aren't antidepressants and like for me it was like a long journey to to find what kind of worked for me and the that process is like very it's terrible yeah especially when it doesn't work for you and it changes your personality and mm-hmm. and there's this like kind of feeling of uh like that you're disoriented and you kind of feel like you're in a cloud yeah and you, it's hard for you to navigate through life so those like little like keeping it that simple and having this kind of dreamy with the 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 bass and the the drums the the simplicity of it and then having these layers of like the detuned timpani and and the the reverse and kind of messing with it really gives it that mm-hmm. it feels like it fits into the the theme of the song yeah you know? and it's like he's he can only he's kind of like i think from what i've read about it, it he's imagining what this experience might have been like for his mother so it's like it is dreamy in the sense that like you know how you might feel when you're on a drug or drugs but also like he's dreaming up with a lot of empathy i think like this hypothetical not hypothetical but like you know trying to empathize with the situation where he can't quite know what his mother went through but yeah it's almost like um i don't know it's like the the thorazine saying thorazine over and over again it's like there's something like kind of um there's a lot of empathy and a lot of kind of bluntness to it too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's this it's this interesting balance of like dignity and like you know, empathy and also just kind of a like this hits me in the chest like a ton of bricks. So like there are elements of the song that kind of hit the listener that way too. I think just the, the yeah. mention of the drug and like you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would think about the song if I didn't do a little research, research on yeah. it. But it still does that thing of like it's a really evocative lyric that gets you thinking in the territory of being put on drugs, you know. Like uh, so, there's also a sterileness to it that almost kind of reminds me of like a white 
bright white yeah, hallway clinical of clinical yeah like sunlight coming in through yeah yeah the very clinical white hallways yeah of an institution totally. you know yeah uh it's beautiful again like you mentioned a door and i really think this is kind of like a spiritual there is a spiritual connection not just because of the mother but music wise yeah, too sounds feels like, like it, it's, yeah. it's a, a door type track mm -hmm. yeah and also at the end it's very haunting again yeah. if you're listening on headphones it has this kind of like weird kind of drop off mm -hmm. where it kind yeah. of fades and has this kind of echo that's just really interesting yeah 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 the drop off that you mentioned that that that's sort of like you know like they do that at, i remember we talked about that on a door and we're talking about drugs too and taking pills when the making of it and the, i think it's daphne descends maybe There's right like this descending anyway we don't have to get into that but it's like it's interesting how you could take Give the song a feel of a drug, you know? Yeah. It's interesting how that keeps coming up. Maybe we're just drug freaks, no. but... Yeah, we're drug freaks, man. We do a ton of drugs, you know? We're taking so many drugs that we might see the chimera. We're so past the lane. Oh yeah, <laughs> might see me. Which, by the way, one of our guests uh, did bring that up, like pimp me into uh, doing, doing an Ignafo. Yeah. Uh, well, there are keyboards on this album. Yeah. Hey there, Billy Baby. Billy Why didn't you call me in here, the Oceania? Come on. I mean, you're talking about these wild concepts. Talking about pale horse. Come on. I got the white horse right here. Yeah, baby, riding the pale horse. <laughs> um, so uh, the Chimera. This song borrows from an unfinished demo song called Seven Sisters, which was slower in tempo. In a 2012 interview with Music Radar, Corgan attributes the inspiration of the song to Mike Burns drumming. A few people have asked me what it's like having a 20-something-year-old in the band. Does it have an influence? In this case, I would say absolutely, because it's a song I might not have done without Mike's encouragement. The song originated when they were recording drums for a different song, and there was an issue with the snare drum. While the technical issues were being ironed out, Corgan came up with the new riff and Burn fed off of it. So, Pat, what are your thoughts on the Chimera? Well, I think this is definitely one of those tracks off of here that gets people. Like people sometimes say, this feel this is like uh, the closest thing you know, to Siamese Dream 2 that yeah. you're going to get. Which it's I a think very is a, Pisces sound. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which I think is maybe a little bit um, much or something. Oh. Yeah, or, or yeah, or like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know. But there are these kind of deliberate sounding, like this opening riff is going to get the attention of any old school Pumpkins fan. Because yep. there's a, this familiarity to it. There's a throwback quality. But... Which is great, which I am one of those people. You know, it turns my head for that reason. I am reason. one? I am one. There you go. <laughs> 
Um, but I also really like and respect how it sort of breaks from that. It doesn't just indulge in nostalgia, really. Yeah. Uh, it speeds up and takes on much more of what I think of as like a modern tempo, you know? Um, it's got this quick tempo, and then it also has sort of a Zwan vibe in terms yep. of the extreme sunniness of it, you know, the sunny perspective that you kind of, or just like mood that you kind of feel. Whistle past the lane is almost made me think of like, God, one of the best movies is um, A Mighty Wind. Uh, <laughs> yes. Like the, I, I, I got into a, a I watched it not too long ago, then I got into a, a K-hole, if you will, of just listening to the soundtrack over and over including the new Main Street singers who are like the annoyingly yeah. chipper one band, but they're so infectiously like catchy. It's like, you, you know, it, anyway, that, that like a lyric, like whistle past the lane reminded me of the new Main Street singers. Like, it's just <laughs> so upbeat, you know, like it's almost like, it's like too upbeat, but, but really works. I'll put your hand in mine. So yeah, yeah, it's it's not just nostalgia here, which is a part that I respect quite a bit. It does feel like almost as one we're playing a Pisces Iscariot track, you know, because yeah, it does yeah. have a frail and bedazzled type of yeah. But I also can't help comparing it to Zwan because remember when we were covering uh, the residency, you know, their first shows, yeah, yeah. those first uh, batch of shows, which has been twenty years now. Um, there's that song Chrysanthemum mm -hmm. that has that kind of same groove and yeah. stuff. But like it kind of gave me that feeling to it, so it was hard not to compare that. But man, the the pre-chorus is so cool because there's so many layered sounds swimming around. Yeah. And the guitar sound, I just, mm, I'm such a sucker for it. And the chorus grew on me. That kind of speed up, slow down. Yeah. Because that first one, I remember listening to it and being like, I don't really like this kind of push-pull. Right, right. But I dig it now. I think maybe because I came around to Zwan as well, that kind of helped me appreciate this track. Um, and it kind of does have a little bit of a cherub rock feel to it as yeah, well. Yeah. But like lyrics like you want to brace the golden fool kind of gives me melanc melancholy era kind of mm -hmm. the way he's writing is like yeah. kind of it's poetic, but kind of personal still. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really love that. And I just love that build up around a three minute mark and how the bass and drums come back in. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. course i'm a sucker for fun double solos you know um and i just think that the the song rocks and then at the end i was like ah that lovely fuzz feedback yeah end. yeah yeah that's a good point about lyrically kind of feeling like melancholy era because i think melancholy was kind of the peak of what we've been talking about which is like the big big crazy swings and also just like a really solid pop catchiness sensibility like a straightforward relatable aspect to the lyrics but then this like very specific only Billy like very distinct to Billy kind of 
poetry that he has. So, uh, yeah, it's, it feels like a return to form for the Pumpkins in that way. And I'm talking about the album as a whole, I guess. But just, yeah, I don't I think, know. It's, yeah, lyrically, it's really strong. I think that's why it resonated with so many people or why yeah. a lot of people think, like, this is... I think they want to make that connection where they're like, oh, but this one, this post-Reformation right. album is the, the good one. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying that, but, you know, that's what yeah, most people... Yeah. But I think it resonated with people because it is personal again. Yeah. Because we're yeah. we're getting into the lyrics that are a little bit like, you know, with Zeitgeist, it was a bit of a, like, theme of, yeah. you know, government and all that stuff and, and uh, you know, the future, 1984-ish type of stuff. Right. And then with, um, like, Tear Garden that gets into like cerebral like yeah, very yeah. nebulous you know like kind of hippy dippy kind right. of lyrics and stuff so then like with this one to be that personal because of the loss that he went through and trying to figure out his way through how do i navigate without jimmy right there's a there's a personal relatable aspect to the lyrics that are still poetic but you can connect with them yeah you're not gonna yeah. left being like what is the, right, you're not scratching your head. You're like yeah. pondering, but not like getting hung up on it, you know. And I think that's why it connected. I think that's why so many people connect to something like Siamese Dream or Melancholy because of yeah. those lyrics where you can identify with it and you can relate to it. And then where it loses a thread a little bit with people. I think people came around the door because of the very personal nature of it. And at the time, they're like, that's too much. Right. Yeah. And then with Machina, yeah. he went the other direction being like, people didn't like me getting that personal. Yeah. So I'm going to go even more yeah, petty. And, yes, yeah. Exactly. Uh, with the, the dense lore, uh, which he's basically continuing with Autumn. But I feel like I think that's why this album resonates with so many fans and people who maybe don't care for the Reformation era. But yeah. then we'll go to this and be like, well, this one's actually solid. Yeah. The guy who wrote the Zwan article, Stephen Hyden, which is one of my favorite music journalists, I have to listen to him kind of slag on the band uh, on IndieCast, which is another you know uh, is a mm -hmm. podcast he's on, and I don't love that. But and the Zwan article, I think, Spose had <laughs> messaged us being like, "Why do they have to like?" There's always qualifiers. I know. Right? I know. They can't, they can't just get give it up, and there's always kind of qualifiers. And I agree with that, but I do I do feel like he is still giving credit where credit is due yeah uh but knowing the the personality the, the the idea of billy but then i think that like he's he's one of those people who like will be like i can't really get into the new stuff but oceania yeah. that's yeah. that's a solid album yeah and i think it it's you know you touched on what i think is special about the pumpkins it, and obviously i think ultimately now what's special about them is that they're a great band they have their continued like creative exploration is a big part of what's special about them but i think at the core what hooked me before i was even conscious of any of the stuff was like this balance this mix of like sort of undeniable power and extreme kind of relatable vulnerability you know and, and lyrically and musically in the marriage of it so yeah i think that's part of what this album does really well yeah fun track Our next track is Lissandra. And her name was Lissandra. For you Wayne's World heads out Wayne's there. World, Wayne's World. 
Party time, excellent. Lissandra, the title appears to be a play on words given the main riff involves notes gliding into each other. Um, known as glissando in music theory. Uh, Did you know that? Okay, Billy says, honestly, this is another song that happened when we were sitting around in the studio waiting for something to get fixed. I started playing the riff and we were all thinking, oh, that's good. I went home and wrote the melody and some of the lyrical content. The next day, I played it for Nicole on acoustic guitar, and she almost started crying. Almost. <laughs> she said, God, that's so beautiful. And I was like, okay, that works for me. Heartache never gets old. I mean, I don't know what it sounded like at that point when you played it on acoustic. It's hard for me to translate, but or to imagine but yeah because of the the nature of yeah the, uh, the siren like guitars i agree with nicole in general on the song like this one this is probably my favorite song like just yeah. in terms of it just fucking hits me hard right away like it's what it's doing sonically is must be my sweet spot because it's just this song just like that bending riff yeah like, like, so cool it's so like it sounds. It has that thing where it almost sounds like an alarm going off. Like it commands your attention, but yeah. yet it's so like beautiful and kind of just infectious and kind of mournful, but all but not completely sad either. It's just like I, I love the density of this song. I'm just hooked right away from that that opening riff. Like this song, it's like um, whereas a lot of these songs we're talking at the build and the sections and stuff and. This one is like diving into the deep end of the, you know, ocean, I guess, in this case, not a pool. But um, yeah, and I, I was I was wondering who was playing that sort of that riff, whether it was Billy or Jeff. Apparently it was Billy. Um, I guess it could be Billy wrote it, but I guess it could be Jeff. But live, and, it's know. probably Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it sounds like it's a slide. Yeah. Although yeah. In, in the notes, it says an old rolling guitar synth pedal was used in the recording as well as a boss pedal that acted like a whammy bar. Mm. And he says it's one of my yeah. favorite sounds on the record. So I can see like some kind of trickery going on there. Right. But to to me, uh, not not the biggest, you know, guitar head. I, it sounds to me just like a slide, you know, yeah. where you put yeah. it on your finger and you slide up and down the, the neck of the guitar. Um, and I've heard some people say they don't like this because they're annoyed by that siren sound. But I, oh, this it's... automatically, when I first heard the album, this was definitely a standout to me. Yeah. And it's, I, 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 this time I paid more attention to the structure, trying to find the inspiration point because it's like, this reminds me of something. Yeah. Like a band that I, that we love, like yeah, from the 80s yeah. that I, or, or 90s that I couldn't, I couldn't quite put my finger on. But, um, it just sounds fresh for them. There's something yeah. about this song that kind of like, I'm like, it's it's familiar, but not really their territory. Totally. Yeah. And they're pulling it off, and I really like it. And uh, all the little guitar stuff happening buried in the mix, there's so much of it. Mm -hmm. And I really like where it takes that kind of jazzy detour.
And then the sound around 220 with the super low fuzzed out guitar mm-hmm. and that keyboard is such a cool kind of little detour, but also layer to it. It's got a lot going on that you don't necessarily see on the surface, but when you're listening to it, it, it with headphones, it certainly kind of comes alive in this weird, cool way. Yeah. Um, it's an impressive song when you sit down with it, with all the layers and it's strange, but familiar structure. something about it i just can't put my finger on but it's it's all working it's a it's a soup of familiar elements that that aren't really uh relative to the pumpkins but they're mm-hmm. making it work yeah totally and and i won't even rack my brain i know what you mean about that like it reminds me of something maybe there's some placebo something uh, don't that, say that yeah <laughs> i know well spe- we didn't talk about placebo when it, uh the the um Earlier, I will be Special K. There's a placebo song, Special K, and that song was originally called Special K. Can't have two Special Ks. No. You got to call it Special K Red Berries. That's. Oh man, I yeah, I I, I think I I all I will do I'll just end with I, this song is just a real standout for me. Just echo what we've already said. It's yeah, the song fucking rules. It rules, Cassandra. With all the gushing we just did about Glissandra, you might think our pens would be inkless. But you're wrong, inkless. Pat, I missed you. Inkless. <laughs> oh, I got to stretch before I do these <laughs> these reaches of puns. Inkless. In a 2012 interview with Music Radar, Corgan stated the song almost didn't make the album because it's too reminiscent of 90s era albums, and he loved it too much to omit it. He wrote about the guitar solo. The solo, I remember we were mapping the guitars out, and I decided to leave all this space for some reason. People would say, what's that for? And I'd be like, oh, I'm going to put the solo in there. It's pretty unusual, the drop. You hear it on Queen Records because of the nature and the way they worked. But it's pretty unusual in most modern music to hear no no rhythm guitar at all. But I love it because you can really hear the texture of the sound and take the journey of the crazy bend.
So, Pat, what are your thoughts on Inkless? Well, yeah, like he like he said, right out of the gate, you um, you get the you know that retro '90s SP vibe right yep. away, and yep. and but you know, and it's interesting to hear. You know, I like it feels like they know that it's not an accident, or or, or he's very aware of it to the point where he almost didn't do it. But then it feels like he's kind of doubling down on the '90s sound when the way he sings the line drive it home the wrong way like there's yeah. almost like the yarl like the kind of like you know like a little bit <laughs> of um or, or it's like his billy's version of that billy never did the he never yarl. did the yarl yeah he's, he's he's really an outlier in that he never did the yarl because yeah. they all did the, everyone the, did the yarl the genre of i can't believe it's not better right exactly as coined yeah. by the yacht yeah. rock guys which yeah. is honestly a major feather in billy's cap for him yep. to be such a big 90s band, rock band and not, not do yarl. the yarl of any kind <laughs> but he does his own sort of billy yarl which feels like a very deliberate to me it feels like um okay i'm i'm acknowledging the fact that this is a throwback sounding and i'm leaning into it yeah vocally absolutely uh, yeah yeah but i you know I think it's not a mere throwback. I think there's like that little that's baked into it. I think it's definitely doing something new or doing some new stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great. It's a it's very hard not to get on board with this song, whether you whatever reason you like it for. It's very catchy and and great. Yeah, and I love the lyrics too in this song. There's some really cool stuff like "You haunt where spirits take their time." Yeah. Ooh, interesting. That yeah. is such a cool lyric, and I again it feels like a fun, like kind of Zwanish solo in this uh, in this song. And then during the the lyric part where it says, the face of unseen. Don't shed what we mean. The guitar or keyboard sounds that are happening during that are wild on mm -hmm. the headphones. I don't know yeah. what's going on, but uh, I think I, I always liked this song because, of course, it did uh, feel like a little bit of a nod yeah. back to Siamese Dream, Pisces era. But it um, listening to the headphones really gave me a new appreciation for the song and really like made it um, stand out. A little bit more than it had in the past mm -hmm. and i love the kind of sergeant pepper like strings that you get towards the end yeah. too i thought it was really cool um yeah i mean this one it's just hard hard not to it's so funny hearing him say that because on the podcast for the 33 podcast he says a lot which i i'm sure this drives fans crazy some fans crazy where he's like yeah jimmy and i were working on the studio on the new album and uh we had a handful of songs that just like felt too much like the old pumpkin yeah, it felt yeah. like we had done that before right. so we scrapped it and we did this or yeah. we tore it apart or we did this and it's like that's gotta like make some hand uh, no, fans i want the i'll so eat that don't throw that away exactly I'll eat yeah that. <laughs> but for me i'm like i love that they do that you know yeah. i mean yes i would love to it's hear the right them. instinct it's, overall. it is the right instinct and i think he's only going to be happy or creative when he's moving forward as opposed to like recreating what he's already done so i get it yeah and it's probably no coincidence that um, you know, with hi hi Jimmy and Billy being the main recording driving engines normally, yeah, that like the fact that Jimmy wasn't here, like him and Jimmy doing a kind of 90s thing together, 
is a little too, I could see how that would automatically be like, no, we just can't do that. But doing like something where the way in is like that with new people, I don't know, I could see how it, it happened here, but it's something that wouldn't quite happen if Jimmy were still in the band, you know? Yeah. Because they would just say like, no, that's getting that's too, too close to territory yeah. we've done together, but he's never quite done it with these this group people, of people, so. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it that way. I'd, I'd, gi I'd give it a C as a point. A okay. C plus. <laughs> it's a fair point. <laughs> There's no Oh, well, you know, if I could give you a bouquet of flowers, they'd be full of a certain kind of flower called a wildflower. Wildflower. Sorry, go ahead. Tom Petty. Yeah, see, there you go. The Tom Petty uh, comparison. Maybe that's why he made that comparison. But this song was written during the original Tear Garden sessions with Mark Tulin of the Electric Prunes. After Tulin died in February 2011, Corgan felt compelled to revive the tune. He says, I'm a real fan of when chord revolutions don't resolve. Cherub rocks like that, too. You never feel that sense of, ah, until the end of the song. I'm, I'm hoping I'm reading that that right. It's just D-A-H-H-H-H. Um, um, it creates an anticipatory effect. To write an entire song around one chord sequence, essentially, there's one minor bridge in there. Nine-tenths of the song is that same sequence over and over again. It's kind of got a hymn aspect to it. I really like it in that sense because it reminds me of Mark and how he's affected my journey. It's kind of a sad ending to the record. I didn't intend that, but it's just the way it worked out. Yeah. So Smallville factoid. According to Smallville writer Brian Q. Miller, he would have included Wildflower in the Smallville season 11 comic Guardian had the story been a live action television episode. Specifically, he confirmed that the song would have started near the end of the episode, actually chapter 12. Okay, so that's getting into the weeds um, of like, Smallville. Yeah. They apparently had some sort of season where I didn't watch Smallville. The thing I know my way I into did. Smallville recently is the the Vow documentary with um, right. his one of his main underlings. I forget her name. No, yeah, it was uh, Chloe. Wait, I can't remember her real name. But yeah, in the in the in the TV show, God, I get. It's been so long since I I used to love uh, Smallville, which is you know basically Clark Kent in Smallville before he moves to Metropolis and becomes Superman. Um, but yeah, the, who was uh, her? Allison Mack. Allison Mack was a uh, leader or co-leader of a sex cult 
Uh, and yeah, so anyway, Smallville, Superman, you know, there's some connections there with Billy and uh, the pumpkins, but I think that's really cool. I, that uh, writer was like, oh, we would have used this song for if this were filmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, it's just kind of cool. I, I, the CW show Superman and Lois, uh, really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really good. Uh, I was kind of surprised at how good it was. Oh, interesting. Especially more than the, and I watch all that shit, but like it's better than those other. Probably, yeah, yeah probably better than that. I did not care for those Zack yeah. Snyder Superman movies. Oh, well, this wasn't the Superman. This is, we're talking about the TV shows, which is right. yeah, yeah, Arrowverse yeah. thing. But yeah. TV shows work for Superman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a good medium for him. Um, so what are your thoughts on Wildflower? I mean, this is another one that, like, upon repeat listening, really started to get under my... It's like a, you know, it can kind of pass you by a little bit if you're not paying attention to it. It's it's quieter than a lot of the songs, just in a very basic way. But I think it's beautiful. I think it's really mournful and haunting. Um, I like what he said about the... There's a repetitiveness to it and, like, a sort of anticipatory effect of the repetitiveness um it's yeah it's definitely sad like billy said but ultimately i felt it was kind of uh, uplifting in a way it's like mournful and kind of haunting but within an uplifting you know i don't know mood wise it's it's kind of uplifting um and then i just absolutely love that underwater sounding distorted shredding that comes toward the end so it's like it, it works so well in the song and it works so well kind of tying this final more sparse song back to the rest of the album Yeah, it's kind of a soft landing for the for the album, but it really works. It yeah. sort of floats you away, you know. Exactly, it's kind of got this cloudy, distant feel to it, like where it is floating away. It kind of yeah. it, it kind of adds to the underlying chaos and confusion of the album. Kind yeah, of, and I yeah. really love that part. Yeah. And, it, and it and then there were a time or two I was listening to it where the album just began again uh, after this ended, and that really works too as sort of a cyclical, like oh. the way it blends together with the opening track. It kind of it's a wind down and a kick back up again. So it's yeah, I think this is a great closer. Um, it gets under your skin. It's a it's a it's a grower, not a shower, for sure. <laughs> um, like a y- flower. Yeah, I this is I think it's one of my favorite pumpkin songs ever. Wow. I think it's it's definitely up there. It's 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 it really is a fantastic closer, fantastic pumpkin song. It's so simple. And I just love everything about it. I mean, I I always loved it. It, it. It's got a unique but perfect kind of pumpkins blend of what they do best, you mm-hmm. know, for songs like this. It really fits at home with that Americana vibe, too, that I was talking about yeah. earlier. And this is kind of what I picture when he said that a door would be like, uh, what do you say, like, folk music of the, like folktronica or oh, whatever yeah. it was you know I like remember arcane night music but the, also right. that yeah, yeah yeah where it was like kind of like where he wanted to combine those elements but this feels like the the actual execution would have thought he was yeah, talking about yeah. i mean i love a door of course but i i just think that like this kind of fits within like what his vision was but where he is at that moment mm-hmm. and um i love the repeating keyboard flourishes 
it's just that build is so cool and the tasteful addition of strings mm -hmm. it's just such a great song i mean it has a a lot yet nothing going on if yeah. that makes any sense it's a light touch with the strings too on yeah. this song and kind of th there's not that many moments of strings throughout yeah. the album right it yeah i mean there's a few like it sounds like keyboard strings but yeah the, it really it's really effective mm -hmm. and i i i the the part where he says i'm wasted along the way to reach you yeah the music almost paints that visual yeah as he's yeah. singing that and like what you said it kind of like lends the landscape to fall like float away and like yeah a, a, a cotton candy sky it's, you know yeah and it's a really great uh powerful kind of simple lyric but um that's yeah it does it wasted along the way like this it it, it yeah it's like a haunting lyric you know it's like there's a desperation there. There's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, there's a vulnerability there. It's great. Yeah. But lyricism on this and just sort of like repetition can be, yeah. It's like sometimes you want to, you want to throw a lot of crazy stuff at once. And sometimes you want to just hit, there's like this cumul cumulative effect of like keeping it simple and hitting the same thing over and over again. And that lyric, I'm laced, I'm wasted along the way. To reach you, I think is what he ultimately says, right? Yeah, I which think is so. kind of the resolve. But he keep like, it's just each time he says it, it's it, it's just more, you know, it hits you harder. I love it. Great One of song. my absolute favorites. Yeah. I'm wasted. Well, that's uh, Oceania. Man, Oceania. What, a, what a great album. Yeah, Pat, because you said that like this kind of blind spot for you, and I remember you kind of saying, like you said at the beginning, putting it off. Until yeah, it was now. sort of like, well, I'll preserve it as a blind spot until it's time to really dig in properly, because, I, you know, I'd listened to it before, right? but, again, came out at a time when I was unplugged from pumpkin fandom, and really, like, you know my music fandom was not at the forefront of my life you know the yeah. way it, it always was and it current still is again um but yeah an amazing amazing album definitely uh it's getting to experience it kind of knowing jeff a little bit and th having thought a lot about what he brings to the table and yeah. getting to chat with him and what he tries to bring to the band you know, he uh, in the recording process, it really made me appreciate all the elements more. And um, yeah, Nicole's playing Mike. Uh, all the members really bring it. Really interesting snapshot of the band. You know, just yeah. like a, a moment in time. Uh, yeah, a gem, a true gem in the catalog for sure. It's top shelf pumpkins, in my opinion. Um, I think it's a it's a very worthy album, and it is an album that you should listen to from front to back uh, to yeah. me that was the most ex that, that's when i enjoyed the experience the most mm -hmm. was when i could actually sit down and listen to it and you know yeah really take that time with it but yeah i think for me this era was is really interesting to me and you know whatever the, you know it, the band is i love that jack what he adds to the live sound especially yeah. too but it is it is a little bit of a bummer that nicole couldn't continue because if Nicole could continue and have that kind of, I don't know, creative 
space to for them to play off of each other i think that would have been really special but i do like what has you know yeah uh, yeah well we'll see what uh my feelings are with um when i revisit monuments and those other albums but i really do think that nicole is an unsung hero of this era and i think she brought so much to this this band and i think that like you know she's easily one of the best bass players that they've had um and nicole uh, mad props to you yeah thank i doubt she's listening to this but you know yeah seriously if, i mean it's it, like i said it's i don't like i've had a lot of it's a lot to enjoy about a, a lot of pumpkins albums but i've never sat down and thought t- track after track like wow the bass is really standing out to me yeah. a lot you know she really brings a flavor or a series of flavors to the bass that yeah. really shines well that is our coverage of oceania Thank you so much for listening and for supporting. If you could, please write a review on iTunes. That helps us out. Uh, Please make it nice and positive, if you will. Also, star rating on Spotify helps us out a lot. And if uh, you don't want to do that, then uh, just send a nice message our way. Yeah. Yeah, Just let us know that you're digging the podcast. Uh, We have a Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash smashingpumpcast, where we have exclusive content there. I'm starting to do some video stuff and uh, some exclusive episodes there uh, from Patreon members who they picked the topic. Uh, currently, we did uh, the Yurakin, Yurakan uh, Festival from 1997, which is one of the best live shows that they've done, uh, recorded. It sounds great. But uh, yeah, Pat, thank you so much for coming back for this episode. Absolutely. Uh, I know you're, you're very busy. You still have a lot to take care of. So I appreciate you making the time for this episode. Yeah, we'll, wouldn't miss it. I yeah, yeah, I've kind of this was always in the back of my pocket. I was always since we started this journey, really looking forward to to digging into this, yeah. and it didn't disappoint. Man, oh man, it's so good. Um, so yeah, and if, if for bonus points, everybody, if if you want to find that Smallville uh, <laughs> comic book, never, yeah. yeah, that Smallville season eleven comic, and throw on Wildflower as that you know Lois and Clark Kent are uh, on the rooftop of the Daily Planet, you could have your own sort of um, Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz experience, <laughs> right? With that. For a very short period of time. For a very yeah, short very, period of time. You just stare at the panel. <laughs> so um, hit us up if you do that. Yeah. Well, Pat, love you, brother. Love you uh, too. I'll see you again soon. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to have some uh, co- guest co-hosts come back to talk about some future albums. We got some solo stuff to talk about. We got, uh, of course, Monuments and the other Pumpkins albums. And, of course, the Jimmy Chamberlain Complex albums. Uh, we're almost there. We're almost through all the albums. And I had mentioned this before, but uh, as far as Autumn goes, by the time we get to Autumn, technically... It's not enough time to digest 33 songs. So somewhere down the line, who knows when, who knows where, we'll talk about that. But it's just not going to happen immediately. I might do like a first kind of first blush reactions on Patreon. But other than that, um, we'll probably go up to Seer and then we'll see from there. And uh, yeah, but until then, folks, thank you so much for listening. We love you all. Um, we love music <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, until we meet again, we bid you a fond farewell and good.